And so I'm going to be speaking to you tonight on countercultural wisdom. Uh, I'm going to be focusing in on three specific verses from the book of Proverbs and the concept that they talk about and how it really is counter to the idea that our culture tells us uh, is what is wise. Uh, before I jump in on it, though, I want to start with the word of prayer. Dear God, I thank you so much for bringing us all here tonight. I pray that you please help each one of us uh, walk away from tonight with uh, a fresh perspective on what it means to follow you and, and a practical idea of how to apply that in our lives, um, despite uh, what um, the media or professors or our friends uh, tell us is the better way to live life. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. amen. All right, I want to jump right in on your handout. Hit the first point. Uh, cultural wisdom says follow your heart. Cultural wisdom says follow your heart. And the idea there that, that goes along with that is follow your heart and everything will work out in the end. That, that's, that's the idea that's taught. It's that your heart will never fail you and or lead you astray. Where a biblical wisdom says walk thoughtfully and carefully through life each day striving to follow God. Proverbs 4.26 says, Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. And then Ephesians 5.15-17 goes really well with this. Uh, fair warning in your handout, I wrote it down wrong. It says the wrong reference. You can scratch that out. Uh, it's Ephesians 5.15-17. That's correct up there on your handout as it wrong. So scratch out, I think, 4.17-18. It's actually 5.15-17. Then what that says is be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And I'm going to jump into that a little bit more, that verse, but first I want to watch a quick video clip. Okay, so this is the Cliffside Path. There's a video camera there, and I jump around the boundary, and there's a dude selling um, safety harnesses there, so hopefully he won't catch me and make me pay. Even though I didn't use one. But anyway. Be very careful in how you live, 
not as unwise, but as wise. The word careful in Ephesians 5.15, uh, in the original Greek language which it was written in, is the word akrobos. Alright? And that's the same root word that we get the word acrobat from. And you can imagine why, it's because acrobats have to have acrobos. They have to be very careful about each step they take. That's the idea of the word, to be very careful. It's each step is with extreme deliverance. It's, it, you pay attention to where your foot is, because even the slightest incorrect weight shift for an acrobat could mean the end. And so that's why that it goes in both directions there. It, when somebody explained that to me, it really drove it home for me. Uh, the idea of being very careful, I was like, oh yeah, that's a nice idea. But I thought about it in terms of like, if you look at that picture, how they have to be so careful about each step and how that's how we're supposed to be living our life on a daily basis. Uh, this is such a different message than following your heart. To follow your heart is really to stake your life on your own whims and wants. And this is a really popular uh, belief in our culture, and it makes sense if you think about it. Like if I want to live my life just following my own whims and wants, I'm going to try to justify that by convincing you that you should do that as well. Because the more people I can convince that's a good idea, it's just going to reaffirm me that I'm living my life rightly. So of course, everybody says, follow your heart, because everybody wants that to be the right way for themselves to live. Listen to these quotes uh, from really prominent figures. Have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. Stay hungry, stay foolish. Steve Jobs. Check your ego at the door, then check your gut instead. Every right decision I've ever made has come from my gut. Every wrong decision I've made was the result of me not listening to the greater voice of myself. Oprah Winfrey. Only do what your heart tells you, Princess Diana. And this last one, those are three very prominent figures, but I think the most influential quote in my lineup is this next one from the hit 1993 <laughs> film, Sandlot. <laughs> Follow your heart, kid, and you can never go wrong. So our heart says that your, uh, the culture says that your heart is the purest compass. It's your altruistic guide through life. What God says in the Bible is this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And talk about a countercultural statement. Straight out of the Bible. Look at all those quotes lined up compared to what the Bible says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? If you boil it down, what it means to follow your heart is to live a self-centered life. That's what you're saying. You're saying just, just focus on yourself and, and everything will work out in the end. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice painting of a self-centered life. Uh, as a, you know, sometimes your feelings and wants are good, that is true, and you should be going in the same direction with them when that is the case. But they should never be the guy. They should never be leading you. It's good when you want to do the right thing and you do it. It's nice. It's really convenient when it works out that way. But it's not always going to be the case. Uh, this last Sunday, actually, at Chicken Community Church, Tom Miller had this to say. It, it fits so well, I, I wrote it down to share with you again today. Um, it says, he, what he said is, your feelings have a legitimate place in your life, but they should never get the first or last word in your decision making. So how do we walk deliberately in life instead of following our heart? Uh, the main idea that came to my mind is to be self-controlled. That's that next fill in the blank there. Be self-controlled. 
Proverbs 16.32 says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control, than one who takes a city. Other translations uh, for the term self-control say, rule your spirit, or win control over yourself. Your heart needs to be ruled over, not given the reins of your life. That's, that's the truth of the matter. The Bible says your heart needs to be ruled over, not given the reins. The absolute best way I've found to do this, to gain self-control in my life, is by memorizing scripture. I want you to write that down. Write down, memorize a verse, or memorize scripture, because that is the number one way that's helped me gain uh, self-control in my life. Because when I memorize a verse uh, out of the Bible, I come across things during my everyday life where it applies. And one of my favorite verses that comes up a lot for myself uh, when I'm struggling to be patient is Ephesians 4, 2. It says, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. It's Ephesians 4, 2. I'm so thankful I memorized that verse because on more than one occasion, uh, it has helped me to exercise self-control rather than running my mouth like I was tempted to do in the moment. Uh, so the next bit of cultural wisdom we're going to be looking at says, when you're young, decisions don't have consequences. It's this idea that you can get away with anything you want because you aren't a real adult yet. Now this really starts in junior high and high school, uh, this message, and it follows up through college. And even, it's almost spreading past college at this point. It's just, they just kind of want to stretch this as far as they can, I guess. It's not true when you're in junior high and high school, and it is, for goodness sakes, not true for you when you were in college. Uh, it is not how life works, okay? You are a real adult, okay? I'm gonna tell you that right now. And decisions do have consequences. The Bible actually says, you reap what you sow. That's what the Bible tells us. You reap what you sow. Even if it doesn't happen immediately, consequences do come from our actions. Proverbs 131 says, Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way, and have their fill of their own devices. Now there's a, uh, there's a really popular song by Ed Sheeran. It's called Cast on the Hill. And I'm just going to read you uh, a few lines from it. Fifteen years old, smoking hand-rolled cigarettes, running from the law through the backfields and getting drunk with my friends. Had my first kiss on a Friday night. I don't reckon I did it right. But I was younger then, take me back to when. We found weekend jobs when we got paid. We'd buy, buy cheap spirits and drink them straight. Me and my friends had not grown up in so long. Oh, how we've grown, but I can't wait to go home. He sings so romantically about these formative years. You know, I think 15, he's not a sophomore in high school at that point. It's pretty formative years in, in a person's life and him and his friends. And he sings so like fondly this idea of, oh, we were running from the law. And, getting drunk and throwing up and smoking, and it was such a fun time. Was, and you know, it really apparently made him who he is. That's how he sings about it. Not only does he sing it about it and like glorifying it, but it's also, it's insinuated that's helped him get to where he is now in life. Now you might think I'm reading too far into that, but I really don't think I am. Uh, when I was uh, thinking about uh, this portion of my talk, I actually couldn't stop thinking about songs that had this theme. I just had to cut a bunch of them out. I only had, I'm just going to include one more. Um, it's Khalid's Young, Dumb, and Broke. Alright? This is like, this is like the poster child of my point. Alright? I'm so high at the moment, I'm so caught up in this. Yeah, we're just dumb, young, and broke. Young, dumb, and broke. But we still got love to give. And later he sings, run into sin, do it all in the name of fun. 
So if you see it there, it's woven into the song. It's woven into so many songs, into sitcoms, into movies. Uh, it's, it's woven all throughout our culture, this idea. We're just young, dumb, and broke. That, you know, it, it's almost like this, this magical force field uh, that, that our culture says we have around us based off of our, our point in life. And consequences just like, peer, peer, you know, are glancing off of us. Like, it's not, it's not reality. That's not how life works. There's no magical force field based off of your age. Um, sorry, if you, if you thought that coming here tonight, just crushed your dreams. Um, here's the truth. I did things in high school that I regret and that I still suffer consequences from 10 years later, both good and bad. That's, I mean, in college as well. When I was in college, I did things, and I still suffer consequences from those decisions, good and bad. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Boom. Just right out there. Now, I don't know if Ed realized it, but he actually proved this verse true in his own song. Um, when he evaluates where those friends are he's singing about now in life, he has this to say later in the same song. One friend left to sell clothes, one works out by the coast, that's nice. Um, one had two kids and lives alone. Uh, uh, one's brother overdosed. One's already on a second wife. One's just get, barely getting by. But these people raised me, and I can't wait to go home. I'm legitimately curious if those friends of Mr. Sheeran's look back as fondly as he does on that formative period of life. Or if they look back and think, that's when I started this trail of poor decision-making that's gotten me to where I am now. It's interesting because uh, Ed actually points to another truth that Proverbs talks about, and that's that you pick your friends and you pick your future. He says that. He says, these people raised me. He makes that statement. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. So there are even consequences of the people we choose to invest our time with. So what do you do? How do you live out this biblical wisdom in your life in contrary to the cultural wisdom that you hear every time you turn on the radio, pretty much? Uh, my idea I have for you is to live with diligence. And this came pretty easily because when studying through Proverbs, this is a very resounding topic that comes back again and again throughout the book of Proverbs, is live with diligence. I actually have a really simple, life-changing statement for you. I want you to write down. All right, so get your pens ready. I want you to write this down under live with diligence. Live, write down. Live for God today. Live for God today. You can't change how you lived yesterday. Today is Tuesday. You cannot change how you lived on Monday. You just can't. You can't really control the circumstances that are going to come across your path tomorrow. You can expect some of them, but you can't actually control just about any of them. What you can do is today, for the rest of today, you can live for God. And then when tomorrow comes, it'll be today. And at that point, you can decide, today I'm going to live for God. And that's what I'm challenging you to do. Because if you can make that decision each day for the rest of your life, you are going to grow immensely. It's actually interesting. It goes great with Chico State's own motto. Uh, today decides tomorrow is Chico State's motto, if you didn't know that. Today decides tomorrow. And that's the truth I'm getting at. It's actually it's a really a wise statement. Um, live today for God. And then worry about
not to live in for God tomorrow, but tomorrow comes. That doesn't mean don't think about your future, obviously. Just talking about the action you can take right now is what you need to focus on. If you reap what you sow, like I talked about, please, I beg you, sow time, invest time with God daily. Because that is going to cause you to reap joy in the future. That's what's going to happen. If you want to experience joy in life, you really need to be investing time daily with God. To really, you know, to decide. Today I will sow my relationship with God. I will invest a part of my day spending time reading His Word and talking to Him through prayer. If you can just make that statement every day and do it for the rest of your life, I, I have a hard time even explaining to you where you're going to be in five years. Because it will not be where you are today. Where I am today is not the same place I was five years ago. And it's because God has blessed me and helped me be a part of Challenge. Have Paul help me, invest me, and tell me these truths. And then God gave me the power to help start living them out. And it has affected my life immensely. Okay? If you knew me when I was in high school, you, okay, well, David Clark did know me in high school, so that's not unfair, and so did Paul. So they can tell you I'm a very different person today than I was back then. I was a punk. And not like a cool punk, like a bad kind of punk. Like a, like a stuck-up, know-it-all punk. It was bad. Um, all right, that was a quick sidebar. Anyways, the next culturalism I'm going to talk about is that uh, culturalism says that reality is subject to our cultural preferences. That's what, uh, that's what our culture uh, teaches, really, is that reality is subject to our cultural preferences. Right or wrong, how life works, uh, it can be manipulated to cater to how we want to do our own life. Whereas what the Bible says is that there's one God, there's one reality, God's, and life works this one way. There's one reality, and that reality is God's, and life only works this one way. Proverbs 6, 27-28 says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest, and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals, and his feet not be scorched? It's kind of a funny verse when you first read it. It's like, well, of course, like, no, like that, that's, that's what happens. And actually, the context of the verse is referring to sexual sin, if you, if you read it, the whole passage. It's talking about, it's an analogy driving home the point that sexual sin has real-life consequences, and they are bad. That's what the point of this verse is, which is convenient, because it goes with what we just talked about. Um, but the verse also simultaneously portrays a more general truth about how reality works. And that is in one way. You cannot hold coals in your hand and not be burned. That's how life works. So when I was thinking about this idea, and I was thinking about the theme of Trek, I had like, you know, the Trek picture at the beginning, video. I also uh, thought of a Trek I've taken in my life and how it relates to this. And that was a couple of years ago, my wife Brittany and I led a trip to Germany uh, with Challenge. This is actually a college group over there called Connection um, that's pretty much the same as Challenge. And we got to go work with them for the summer. It was fantastic. Um, and at the end of the summer, we, uh, Brady and I, got to take a vacation. And we went to Italy for about a week and a half. It was super fun. While we were in Italy, we traveled from city to city via train. And our last stop uh, on our travels was Rome. So we pulled into the Rome train station. And we're pretty exhausted at this point. We took a whole summer and we're working in Germany and we've been vacationing in Italy. Vacation is fun, it's also tiring. 
So we get there, we've got all of our clothes, everything we brought loaded uh, in backpacks that we're carrying. So we always waited until uh, everybody else got off the train car because we were those really annoying, obviously American tourists with our huge backpacks that we weren't quite strong enough to handle like, you know, eloquently. So we let everybody else get off the train and then we hoist our backpacks on our backs and like waddle out of the train. Um, and so oftentimes people would already start coming onto the train before we would get off because they'd be a break then. So that happened again. Like, oh man. So then we got to do the awkward, like get by them with our huge backpacks. And it was just two guys though, which was kind of funny. And they were pretty awkward as they passed us. And I was like, oh, that's, that's annoying. So we hopped off the train. And given how awkward the circumstance was and that there was nobody else getting on the train, I just kind of checked my pockets. And my wallet was gone. And I was like, oh no. Like maybe, maybe I figured, I just probably just dropped it. And we've been on the train for like four hours. So I was like, okay, Brittany, you stay here with the backpacks. I'm gonna hop on the train, check real quick to see if it, I dropped it. And if not, I think those dudes just pickpocketed me. So dropped me, you know, dropped my backpack, got on the train, check, not there. Like this is like my blood, you know, my blood started really pumping. I was like, oh my gosh. And so I got off the train and I turned to Brittany and said, it's not there. And right then, a train attendant dude was like hopped out of the next train over. And I didn't even think there was anybody in that train anymore. He hopped off and I was like, I flagged him down. I told him what happened. As I'm wrapping up, explaining what happened, I looked over and like two or three cars down, one of the two dudes like goes this. Like pops his head out of the train car. And I was like, that's the guy. <laughs> Perfect timing. And so the attendant, it's just so funny. It looked like it was out of a movie. <laughs> and so the, atten the attendant guy, the train worker said, okay, I'll hop on the train. I'll walk down the train cars. You walk beside him, and we'll corner him. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, okay, dude, like, let's do it. And so, and so he goes walking down the train cars. I'm walking beside this train car. Both the dudes, just to be clear, were bigger than me, okay? <laughs> This, I didn't even, I just thought the train dude like, knew what he was doing. I was like, okay, following your lead. I'm walking beside the train car. I don't see them. We get all the way to the end of the train, and the two thieves hop out of the last train car with the train worker right behind him. And he starts talking to him in Italian. And I couldn't understand him because I don't speak Italian. Uh, but I could kind of tell what he was saying. Uh, he was like, like, kind of like very expressive in his talking. And he clearly was saying, oh, maybe you like picked up his wallet off the ground or something. And, and he was trying to give them an easy way to give him a wallet back. And they weren't convinced. They actually kind of like jibber-jabbered back and forth a little bit more. And then finally, like one of the dudes just pulls out my wallet out of his pocket. And I was like, that's my wallet. And so he hands it to me. And the guys turn around and start walking away. And I opened it up and checked it to make sure my stuff was in there. First checked all my cards, my ID, all there. Then I looked and there was no cash in it. That was a problem because I had taken out all the cash I would need for our whole time in Italy, um, so I wouldn't have to try to find the ATM. This was the end of our trip, so it's not like I had all of it in there, but I had a healthy amount of uh, euros in a wallet, and none of them were there anymore. So I was like, all my cash is gone. And so we kind of like jog and catch up to them. They were just kind of like strolling away. And uh, the guy talks to him in Italian again, and, he, and one of the thieves reaches into his pocket, grabs a wad of cash, then kind of like shoves it at me, and then they turn around and kind of start like speed walking away. 
And the, the, the train attendant was like, all right, awesome, I'm so sorry that happened, and he walks away. And I'm like, okay, like, I grabbed money, I'm rifling through it, putting it back in my wallet, and I realize, this is like half of my money. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a very, like, this was a pretty pivotal point in my day. <laughs> I had an important decision to make. There was a very strongly influencing factor that the train attendant nor those thieves knew, though. And this factor was that for the past four hours, my wife and I had been watching the TV show 24 <laughs> <laughs> on that train. If you don't know about the TV show 24, it's about a special agent for the counter-terrorist unit named Jack Bauer who can somehow like be stabbed, tortured, shot, and be exposed to more like you know, radiation that Ava has business being exposed to and still t kick butt and take names. Like he's an absolute beast of a man that somehow never dies. Um, so I'm apparently hyped up from that. I don't know what happened. Because uh, as soon as I counted my money and realized it wasn't there, I closed my wallet, shoved it in my pocket, and the dudes were about 40 yards away from me going towards the off the platform. Like we're on an outside train station. The train station's that way. That's where the uh, attendant walked. Those dudes are walking towards nothingness. I guess they're just going to hop off and go off into nowhere land. I just start booking. I start sprinting. I run them down. And <laughs> it's so hard to explain this to you because it is kind of crazy. As soon as I catch up to them, I just start screaming. I'm like, give me my money! Give me my money right now! I'm not kidding! Give me my money! Give it back to me! Despite how invincible I felt, 
uh, it didn't have any actual uh, influence. Thankfully, I didn't have enough money to make myself worth their time, apparently. I am thankful for that. Um, but I still think back on that decision and think it was pretty foolish. And here's the truth, you guys. God is in control of everything. This is reality. God is in control of everything, and he loves you deeply. He loves you personally very deeply. That is reality. In fact, he loves you so much that he sacrificed his own son. I'm a father. I have a one-year-old son. And this idea, like, boggles my mind. He sacrificed his own son for you so that you wouldn't have to suffer the ultimate consequence for your decisions by spending eternity apart from him in hell. That was the other option. God did not want that to happen, so he sacrificed his own son to make another way. You know that you reap what you sow. We just covered that. You reap what you sow. In this case, Jesus Christ, he decided to take on what you deserved. He, he reaped what you sow. You sow sin. Like each one of us has made mistakes. And Jesus said, like, I don't want you to, to be able to take on the result of that, the consequences of that. I don't want you that on you. Like, I'll take it on myself so that you can have a relationship with God and spend eternity with me. So if you're here tonight and you've already committed your life to Christ, then you should be living every day banking on the reality of God, on the truth that he loves you. That means that every day you strive to follow him. Because if he is all-powerful and all-loving, and he gave us his word to help us through life, then the logical conclusion is to be sold out for following him and striving each day to live out his word more and more in your life. That's the logical conclusion. You follow the steps there. It's really illogical to be a half-hearted Christian. It's a very logical way to live your life. Because if you believe those things, if you believe God is all-powerful and all-loving, loves you personally, sacrificed himself for you, wants good for you, wants to bring joy into your life, the only logical conclusion to that belief is to be sold out following him. And if you're here tonight and you have not yet committed your life to Christ, I want to ask you, what is holding you back? And I really want you to think about that. I don't ask that flippantly. I really want you to ask, what is holding me back? You have a God who loves you so much. He sent his own son to die in your place. Paying the penalty that your sins deserved. So that you can spend eternity in heaven with him. That is what God did. That is reality. That's what happened. So I just really want you to think about it. It's what is holding you back? What is holding you back from having a relationship with that kind of God? God wants to forgive you of every wrong decision you've ever made. And he wants to give you the power to live out the kind of life that I just talked about tonight. And really what we're talking about through this whole series uh, in Challenge. God wants to forgive you of your sins and give you the power to live this kind of life. So I want to ask you, what is holding you back? He left the choice up to you. He gives you the option. If you're already a Christian, he gives you the option to be a sold-out follower of him. If you are yet a Christian, he gives you the option to be. And it's your choice. So my question is, what are you going to decide? I really want you to think about that for your own life.
And I want you to, you're going to have a chance in a few moments to fill out a communication card. And if, if you have a decision you want to make about that, if you want to talk more, please write something down on that. Uh, and one of us will get in contact with you, maybe just meet up for coffee or, or lunch, and get to talk to you, get to know you more, and hear more about your story and where you're at in your decision about following up. Or just come up and talk to me or another uh, staff member or student leader tonight after your challenge, and we can set up time to grab coffee or lunch with you. All right, sound like a deal? All right, let's pray.